Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Get a chance to do the bulk of the preaching and get a chance to do so this morning. And so we're going to be continuing our series. We're towards the very end here in Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 10 through 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. Um, just just kind of way a disclaimer, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the game last night. I think that something was going on. Um, so it's a good thing that the Lord brought this to our attention this morning. So we could pray for the devils, which seems ironic in church, but uh, you, you guys get what I'm going. All right, so um, just, just, just a heads up, what we're going to be able to do here is before we jump into the text today, um, I want to be able to take some time and pray for um, those who are experiencing all of the tragedy that's happening with the hurricane um, in, um, in the Carolinas. And so let's do that now, and we'll jump back into God's Word, so you guys pray with me. Father, we are um, sometimes unaware other than what we read and sometimes very aware because of relationship of the things that happen in our country and the things that happen in our world. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, for all of the families, Lord, that are, that are without power, that have lost loved ones, Lord, um, whose, whose personal belongings and homes are being damaged and just the, the chaos um, that can happen, Lord, in, in a hurricane. We oftentimes call these natural disasters, Lord, but we know better. Um, when sin entered this world, Lord, there was evil and decay and brokenness, and this is not something that is a part of your coming kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray for the, the, the breaking in of the kingdom and the power and the restorative power and the healing power of the gospel to be with the, the men and women and children, Lord, and uh, particularly in North Carolina, Lord, in that whole area, God, that your gospel would come to bear and your kingdom would come as it is in heaven. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are true and you are good and that you are everywhere and that you are present with those people, God, as you are present with us this morning. Father, we ask as we turn to the scriptures, God, that you would illuminate your word in such a way that we'd be able to see, know, and trust and follow your son, Jesus, God. We praise you, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. So in another life, what I would be doing is I'd be a college football coach, but that's just not the life that God had for me. Not that this one's not good. I love you guys. But so what I do instead is I just watch a lot of college football and critique all the coaching and so forth. Um, <laughs> So, and, and I, I realize it's an addiction. I do, do realize that. So there's only a certain amount of games I'm allowed to watch on Saturdays now instead of all day. Uh, the first Saturday um, that college football started when we got married 11 years ago was the beginning, like the first week of college football. I woke up and, and Holly looked at me like, what's wrong? I said, it's college game day, right? And so college game day starts at the TV show. Um, it's anointed. And then so we, we, I watched it and I stayed on the couch from about 7 a.m. to the ASU game into that night, which is usually about 11.30 and Holly said to me, wow, out of all that we covered in premarital counseling, <laughs> I never thought the issue was going to be football. When you said you liked football, I had no idea. And I said, I'm down for this. So anyways, <laughs> yesterday I'm watching, I'm watching TCU versus Ohio State. And um, so TCU's playing Ohio State, and Ohio State's getting ready to kick the ball off. And then TCU usually have two guys in the very back that they're going to kick it to. But TCU's got one guy back there. The announcers, they can see it. They're like, oh, there's a, the other guy's laying down. And he's laying down in the end zone. I know what he's doing. He's, 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 it's a trick play. So they kick it off to the one dude. He catches it. Everybody goes to the one dude. He's running to it, and he stops. The other dude who's on the ground, he wakes up, um, gets up, turns around, throws it to him. He catches it. No one's there. He runs it in for a touchdown. All right? Here's the problem, though. You can only advance for a touchdown if you throw it backwards. And so the, 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 the guy who threw it actually threw it forward, and so he screwed up the whole play. But, uh, but, 
But good play nonetheless. They can never do it again because everybody's going to see it coming now. But it was a great play. And so my youngest son's like, why did no one run to him? I said, because they didn't know he was there, right? Okay, when we begin to talk about the conversation of spiritual warfare and our context, Part of the issue, one of our biggest issues of those of us who follow Jesus when it comes to Satan and demons and spiritual oppression and so forth, is we don't ever engage it because we act as if we don't believe he's even there. That, that, that we, like the last thing we would think is that there could be this supernatural force and reality called Satan, called the devil, called the adversary, and his minions, principalities and authorities, or demons that are, that are present even though we cannot see them. We're very modern, Western, enlightenment thinking people that if we can't put something through the scientific method grid, then it cannot be true. And so therefore, we disregard all of the texts in the scripture that speak of this, this present reality. Therefore, we don't know how to engage in spiritual warfare, so we might actually be getting tricked by the devil as we speak. And so the, so the hope for today, as we look at the scripture, is to be able to allow the scripture to show some things in spiritual warfare. Now, hear me on this. Um, if you are tracking along with this, and you've been saying, hey, I've been, I've been at church every day this whole year. Okay, one, you're lying. But just to say you were, you were, you were okay, um, you would say, shouldn't we be looking not at verses 10 through 12? Shouldn't we be looking at verses 6 through 9? Okay, for the three of you guys who have been tracking along and you had that question, I'm going to answer it for you in front of everybody. You are right. We should be looking at slaves and masters. You say, well, Ricardo, how come we're not looking at slaves and masters? Why did you skip? That's the chronological order. I would say, you are right. However, we feel like slaves and masters has a, a particular implication once you deal with all of the cultural baggage to work and vocation. And we think the best person to teach on that is Jim Mullins. Um, Jim Mullins is not only the best that we have here in Tempe, he may be the best in the universe ever, right? And so chronologically, when you look at the text, we're going to come back and teach that next week, okay? So don't miss that. Then we're going to come back and do the second part of spiritual warfare. So we're going to deal with a lot of the nitty-gritty and so forth in two weeks. Today, being able to just, one, get us to see that spiritual warfare and spiritual battle is inevitable. Like, it's inevitable. But on the flip side, or on the other hand, is that victory is inevitable for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we want us to be aware, but to not be afraid of ultimately what's happening, but what's also happening and happening in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so since I'm a, I want to be a coach, today I'm going to be a spiritual coach for you guys um, as we walk through this text. And so one, some questions you've got to ask if you're engaging into a game. One, you have to know, do you have the proper equipment? Do you have the proper equipment? Number two is what, like, what, like, do you know the game? Like, what game are we playing? Do you even know how to play the game? Number three is what are the tendencies of the person or the people that we're going against? Like, what are their tendencies? What's their strategy against us? And then number four, very important, how do we win? Now, some of you guys, well, when it comes to sports, it's not about winning. Yes, it is, all right? And so I know it's not the only thing, but it matters a lot, okay? Let's not lie to ourselves. It matters. No one goes to a game. This doesn't matter. Like, it didn't matter. It didn't really matter, okay? Tell that to the coach who just lost his job, okay? So there, there's, it matters, all right, so looking at this, we're looking at equipment. Was it equipment? What game are we playing? Um, number three, what are the tendencies? And then how do we win? Verse 10, chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. First thing Paul does, he says, finally. Now, when he says finally, it's not like, um, okay, there's more that's going to be coming from. No, he's saying this is to wrap it all up. It's not like if you ever hear us as preachers preach, we say, okay, there's one more thing. And then after that, we say, all right, two more things. And we say, okay, last thing. And we say, oh, yeah, also, right? No, Paul is going, wrapping it all the way up. This is it. So he steps back. And we go, okay, here's what Ephesians was. Ephesians was Paul writing to this church in Ephesus, a place that he had already visited, a place that he had preached the gospel, and that men, women, and children began to believe upon Jesus, and their lives were being transformed. Paul now is in prison on house arrest um, by the Roman guard, and he's writing back to Ephesus. And he gives this grand narrative, a summary of what God is doing in Christ to redeem and restore all of creation. Chapter 1, we see that this same risen king has given us now and his authority everything that pertains to the spiritual blessings in which we need it. And that this same reigning king is uniting heaven and earth that we may reign and live with him one day. And that this same king is taking those who by our own sin were separated from God. Now in Christ Jesus, we become a part of God's family. That the same king has given us gifts to display and to be a work to the people around us. The same king has taken Jews and Gentiles, those who are ethnically not one, and creating a new society, as he says, in the work of this reigning king, Jesus. The same Jesus is establishing relationships in the family that begin to usurp the way it works in society. That there's this mutual submission now under the authority of Christ. That husbands and wives have a new kind of relationship. That fathers and mothers parent in a different way. Next week, as slaves and masters, they begin to work and live with each other in a different way. And then Paul says, all of the things we've talked about, finally, he says, just know in everything you do, there's going to be spiritual warfare. That in every single thing you do, in the relationships you have, there's going to be spiritual warfare. And the relationships you wish you had, there's going to be spiritual warfare. And the relationships that you had that you lost, there's going to be spiritual warfare. And the vocations that you're in, and your walk with Jesus, there's going to be spiritual warfare, and not to be alarmed. Now, mind you, this wasn't news to the people whom Paul was writing to. Paul did not have to convince them of demonic presence and darkness that was there. Like, they knew about it. In fact, if you go back and you read through um, the book of Acts, you can see even when Paul was there, there was already the warfare that was happening. That you see the ministry through Paul that he was able to cast out demons. In fact, there was this weird story that you begin to read about. I believe in Acts chapter 19, there's the, the sons of the high priest, these Jewish dudes. They were looking at Paul and being like, that's kind of cool that he's casting out demons. And, and so they tried to cast out demons. And so they said, in the name of Jesus, and the demons begin to speak back to him. And the demon said, Jesus, we know, Paul, we heard of, but who the heck are you, right? And it says, they beat him up, and the, men, the, the, the six sons, they ran out of the house naked and bloody, okay? Thank you. I don't know why you guys are all quiet. That's something you should be like, dang, right? The kids always get it before we do. So, so, so you have this picture, like, they know that already. Like, they know that there's spiritual warfare. And then Paul said, finally... Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. So we start first with the equipment. The equipment here that he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, we're going to break down the armor in a couple weeks, and we're going to have to do it in a way that we can destruct the whole, like, McGee and me flannel board picture of, like, the way we teach the kids about the Lord's army. And No, it's way more, it's way better than that. We're going to figure that out in a couple weeks. But now you have the picture of the Lord's army and your, your equipment that you have it matters for whatever game that you're playing. So my sophomore year in high school, 
my coach pulled me up to varsity. And he's like, for basketball, right? And my high school had like a really awesome basketball scene, right? It was like all the kids showed up, you know, the student section was there. They were, it, it was hype. Like you wanted to be on the basketball team. And so coach like, we're going to play you tonight. I'm like, this is perfect. I can already see what's going to happen. I'm going to get in the game. I'm probably going to stay in the game. I'm probably going to win it. Uh, they're going to carry me off. This is, this, this, this is about to be amazing. This is like Uncle Rico times 10. So coach says, Ricardo, you in. And you got to mind you, this is like late 90s, right? This is probably like 96, 97. And then I come to the scores table, so you have the rip-away pants, right? Yep. 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 It's going there. And so I check in, and, and, you know, entering Ricardo Stewart, who's about to win the game, ladies and gentlemen, right? And so I, I come in. I rip off my rip-away pants, and I forgot to put my shorts on, <laughs> right? Now, here's the deal. I didn't have any cool tights like the way the kids be wearing now. I just had some, some, some ugly red boxers, right? And, 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 you know, and like my jersey goes down to here. It just looks all bad. Here I am. I'm trying to shine in front of my friends. Instead, I'm exposed, right? <laughs> Literally. I'm out there like this is now. So someone asked me, because I didn't finish the story. Someone last hour said, what did you do afterwards? I ran back into the locker room. You think I went out there and was like, let's go. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. This is not, that's not the proper equipment. You don't go out like that. Paul, right? Right back to Ephesians. Paul is saying, when it comes to the devil, when it comes to spiritual warfare, it's not your strength. It's not your intellect. It's not the people you kick it with. It's not the church you go to. It's not the preaching you sit underneath. It's actually the Lord, and it's his armor. Now, what most people think is when Paul is talking about the armor because he's sitting in prison, that he's looking at the guard, and he's going, yeah, helmet, yeah, um, um, breastplate of righteousness, yeah, belt. What kind of shoes you got right there? Okay, that's the gospel of peace, right? <laughs> the thing about that that, that may, may be true is that because Paul was on house arrest, chances are the way he describes the armor, that guard wouldn't have needed all of that. That was for battle. In fact, what Paul is doing, often what Paul often does, is he reaches back into the Old Testament, which begins the story in which we're a part of, and he shows it how its narrative is complete in Christ through the gospel. So he goes back to Isaiah chapter 59, of where it communicates that the Lord will actually put on his armor. So it shows the picture there of God putting on the armor and going to battle for us. And so what Paul is saying here is the proper equipment is not necessarily something that we just put on, but it's someone in whom we enter into relationship with. And when we enter into relationship with this particular person, that things change. That things change. And so the proper armor here as we engage in any battle is not first and foremost, I'm afraid of the enemy or I'm afraid of the things he can do. First, I need to know whom I belong to. Who is covering me? Primarily through the blood of Christ and whose relationship I'm with in terms of the authority and the power of God. And so he says, make sure, finally, all of the things he's talking about in the gospel, remember this. That your equipment is that you were covered in the army of God who goes before you. Amen? And so, so when you see that, you first have, okay, you gotta have a proper equipment. Next thing is you gotta know what game we're playing. Paul, Paul says this put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, 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 able to stand the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces, the evil, and the heavenly places. So you, you, you got to know, you got to know what game we're playing and how to play the game, right? So this next story, again, another embarrassing story for me. Um, 
So I never played baseball before in my life. I coach baseball a lot now because you can, you can trick the kids long enough. They don't know. When they get older, they're going to be like, this dude, he's fraud. But for now, it's working. So not even t-ball. So my freshman year, I'm playing basketball and whatnot, and then this, this guy who's some of my team, he was a scout for a major league baseball team, and he's like, listen, you got quick hands, man. You should play baseball. I'm like, I never played baseball. He goes, yeah, but you could get drafted. I'm like, but I never played baseball. He goes, just go out and try out. They can teach you, man. You're, you're an athlete, right? And mind you, like, I'm so used, I was so used to being good at what I did because I only did two things. Um, and now I'm going to go to the baseball, and I came out to baseball practice or tryouts all wrong. Just all wrong. Like, there's an etiquette to baseball. There's a lot of etiquette to baseball um, that I wasn't used to. So I came out to practice, and you got to remind you, mind you again, this is high school, so this is like mid-late 90s. LL Cool J's doing it. And so I came out with sweatpants on, and I had one leg up, and the other one rolled down. I had my hat backwards cocked to the side, because I'm trying to stunt, guys. That means I'm trying to look good. So I'm trying to stunt. And I get out there, and the coach is like, uh-uh, like, you need to turn the hat around, everything, right? So we do a couple warm-ups, and then we jump into a scrimmage, which is crazy. And I'm, somehow I'm up the bat, and I get up the bat. Fortunately, I made contact on the ball. Whack! I hit the ball. And when you don't play baseball, you're not really, you're not, like, good at death, like, I, death perception. So I hit it. I thought it was going over the fence. Like, oh, ain't, the, ain't God good, right? <laughs> and so not even close. It goes, and I'm looking, and I'm not even running. It drops in front of the outfielder, so I'm like sprinting, so I get the first base. I get the first base, I take my helmet, and I throw it off into the dugout. And, thank you. You're like, it's like, to those of you who know baseball right now, you're like, this is embarrassing. We thought Ricardo was cool. No, I'm trying to let you know, it ain't always been this good. So there, <laughs> there, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and my coach goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I'm like, take my helmet off, coach. And he's like, why? I'm like, I thought you just wore the helmet so the ball wouldn't hit you in the head when you were, when you were batting. And he's like, no, why? have you ever watched baseball before? And I'm like, yeah, actually, I, yeah, you know what? I guess they do keep their helmet on, huh? Right? All right, we're still not done. So we go to defense, and he goes, all right, what position do you play? And I'm like, I never played before. And he goes, well, what position did you play on defense in football? I said, I played safety. He goes, okay, go to center field. So I'm out there in center field. And I'm, and I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let this ball come out here. First hit, whack, right up the middle, through the pitcher, through the second base, all the way to me, and I'm thinking, all right, here we go. And I don't know, like, okay, I'm going to come here, and I'm going to, you know, because I, I, I don't know that yet. I, I learned that later to trick the kids. Um, so all I know is whatever sport I can revert to. So I go to football. I ran. I get the ball. I know I got to throw it far. I get it, and my first reaction is to drop back and then, and then to throw it. And my friends are literally on the ground rolling like, this dude is a scrub, right? <laughs> and, and honestly, I think they've been waiting on it. Like, finally, this dude thinks he's all that. He's horrible. So my coach goes, all right, guys, break, get some water. Hey, Ricardo, come here, come here, come here. Coach Romero, I'll never forget. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. And I said, what's up, coach? And he's like, listen, man, I can keep you on the freshman team. You're fast. We can get you running bases and everything. But you would actually be taking the spot of someone who actually knows how to play this game. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, the track team looks at the track. He goes, the track team seems like they can use you. And I was like, you're right. I promise you. Ran down the locker room, changed, put my shorts on, put my running shoes on, came out to the track, was like, okay, I could do this, right? Way different, right? The point of there is some of us are playing a game that we don't even know how to play. We don't even know the rules. We don't understand. We're doing stuff that we think we know, and it's, it's kind of foolish. Here's what I mean. When it comes to the battle, here's what Paul says again here. For we, verse 12, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. He's saying our battle is not flesh and blood. And much of the evangelical Christian world, we have believed the lie that our battle is actually flesh and blood. It's a political battle. It's a gender battle. It's a sexuality battle. It's the get the prayer in school battle. It's us trying to have some sort of power and authority battle. And Paul's saying, no, not at all. Not to say that it's not spiritual warfare behind the issues in our world. We're just going, we're trying to engage cultural battles and saying, this is our battle, when the Bible's like, no, sin, Satan, and death. Like, sin, Satan, and death. Not him, not her, sin, Satan, and death. Not these people, not those who believe different than us, not those of different religions, not those of different sexual preferences. No, that's not our battle. That's not our battle. He said, the battle, you do have a battle that you will wrestle against, and it's sin, it's Satan, and death. And primarily, he says, it's not flesh and blood. We're out there, like, battling something that God's saying, that's not even your battle. Oftentimes, as Christians, we find ourselves, especially in our country, trying to gain some sort of um, influence or power from the things of this world when we have a greater power that is outside of this world that is in it and in Christ. The power that God has given us in Christ is the power of the gospel, not the structures and systems of this world. That doesn't mean we don't pull away from it. No, we take the power of God and we humbly submit to God and to the people and authority that he's given us, and we live out our lives in such a way that we understand who Jesus is in the midst of the demonic warfare. I just wonder sometimes if that's not the ploy of the enemy to get us fighting a battle that we have no business fighting. The reality of it is, I had no business being on the baseball team. And some of us, we, we, we are fighting with all of our energies and efforts in a sport that we're not in. Paul says, it's not flesh and blood, but he says it's the principalities and authorities. That's another way of saying demonic warfare. Let me pause for a second. When it comes to Satan, the devil, the adversary, he's not omnipresent. That means he's not everywhere at the same time. Um, he does have minions, demons that are, that are present. He himself is not everywhere. And depending on how you were raised in Christianity, if you were around Christianity, um, like growing up, you, we have like these extremes in some ways. We find some, ourselves somewhere in the spectrum. The church I grew up in, we sometimes gave too much power to the devil. Like he was everywhere. Right? You bit your tongue, uh-uh, that's the, that's the devil. I rebuke it, right? Not my tongue, Right? <laughs> And that, that, that would be like, he, he was like everywhere. Now, the beauty of that, growing up in that environment, though, that I love is I, I grew up always believing that there was spiritual warfare. Um, and the way that people who believe that there's spiritual warfare, the way that they lean in the prayer is wildly different than those on the other end of the spectrum. On this end of the spectrum, uh, this end of the spectrum, and just to be honest, that's kind of where most of us are, this is I will rely on my intellect I will rely on the books that I read, my knowledge of theology and doctrine and so forth. And for the most part, I will rely way more on my experience. And what that usually means is what I don't experience. And so I don't actually really believe in the big supernatural things of God or the enemy. Because most of the time, it can be explained away at some ways or some not. And so therefore, it's not something that we're really cognizant of. And I don't think that we should be here saying the devil's in everything. But we definitely shouldn't be here and almost like pretending that he doesn't exist and he's not present. 
that when we look at the scripture here, we're saying, Paul is saying finally now, meaning in everything that he's talked about, there's demonic oppression in it. And so, so not only do we need to understand the proper equipment, not only to know the, the game we're playing, like we need to understand the tendencies of our opponent. And if it's sin, Satan, and death, in this particular case, we're talking about evil and, and Satan, go back with me in verse 11. After he says, put on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What it literally means is like the tricks. Like, like when it comes to the devil, the devil is not like just jumping out of bushes, scaring you, right? Um, he's very crafty. Like there's, there's, there's a way in which he goes about his plans that you don't see it coming. It's very enticing. It's very winsome. It's very satisfying. It's very easy. It promises, it promises all the pleasure without the pain. You get that later. That, that what, what we see here is that um, the, the enemy is present, and many of us know it. We just don't talk about it. So what I want to do in a couple weeks is talk about more equipment. Like, how do we talk about it and even understand it? Here's what I mean by, by, by that he's present. Most of us don't talk about this, but many of us have had this experience. Because I think the enemy, one, is at work in our lives even before we come to know Jesus. One is just through the power of distraction. Man, many of us in this room, we can even experience it, that the moments that we want to sum submit ourselves and, and, and rest in the presence and the power of Jesus, like, you've had this. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but this is for somebody. You want to walk with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, you get distracted. And it may not even be something that is just outrageous. It's just a good thing going the wrong way. And then you find yourself living over here, and you're like, wait, wait, wait no, no, that's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to be. And you get here, and then you're distracted again. Because one of the best things that the enemy can do is just to get us to be unfruitful. He can't take you away from God. He says he's, he's got the blinders on you. At some point, God's so powerful, he's going to take those blinders off. But if he can keep you useless or um, unfruitful, that's what he would do. It's distraction. The other way that we experience is in the way that you normally think of demonic-like oppression. That many of us have had that experience where we are sleeping and we can sense something over us. Almost like pushing down on us. Sometimes it's a dream and we, 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 like we know it's something dark and we can't even get words out. We're trying to say something. We can't even get our words out. We wake up and it's like, Jesus, help me. And yet, we feel like, man, that must have been only me. And if I took a survey, I'd be like, yeah, I, hey, I thought that was just me. That happened last night, right? And sometimes we just don't lean in these things of like, Lord, what are you doing by the Spirit? The last two out of the last three nights, I felt like the Lord woke me up for a reason, right? One time, or th th three, three days ago, I heard, Dad, and I woke up, right? And it's dark, and I thought my kids had come into the room, because sometimes the kids would come into the room and, and say, Dad, right? So I thought, that happened. <laughs> Didn't happen. I wake up, Holly's asleep. I walk in the, you know, I'm like, ah, the boys are, I look, I listen. No one's saying my name, so I'm like, I'm just going to go to sleep. I was like, no, Lord, what do you want me to do right now? Let me go just go check on my kids. I walk in the room, and my oldest son is choking, right? And he's having, like, almost an asthma attack. So I wake him up, and I give him a breathing treatment because he's got pretty bad asthma. Last night, after watching that game, <laughs> I'm up. I'm not going to go to bed. Noah's spending the night at a friend's house. I'm like, he's got his breathing treatment. He's good. And he's staying with the nurse. They're good. And something, I, 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 was, I usually turn my phone on silent or turn it off on, on Saturday nights so that I don't get distracted by anybody trying to call me or whatever. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to leave it on, even though Holly has her phone. And I get a text. Hey, are you guys awake? Like, Noah really needs something. So I call him. And sure enough, 
he can't breathe. So I drive all the way up to Awatuki, and I go pick him up, and I get him, and, you know, pray over him, get him breathing treatment. And, and it's just so hard when you have the, the asthma because really nothing you can do. And so I'm not sleeping. I mean, I didn't sleep at all last night. So if anything comes out today and it's good, it's from God. If it's not, listen, just that's not me. <laughs> Blame it on Jason Raber or something like that. Um, so, 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 but it was just those little things of going, maybe sometimes the Lord is speaking. Maybe the spirit is at work and, and, and like God's spirit. But likewise, maybe the enemy is at work as well. Like, you got to understand his tendencies, and here's his tendencies. His tendencies is not usually to wake you up for good. It's usually to wake you up for bad. His tendencies is not really, it's not to tell you um, always lies, but, man, he's good at half-truths. And a half-truth is just a full lie. And the way that he lies is narratives, it's stories. We're supposed to live into the story of the gospel. But every single one of us, we hear multiple lies. We hear lies about ourselves, and we hear lies about God. And that's the way the enemy works. Those of you who got married, you were married really young. The enemy lies to us in our culture and says, listen, man, you were married really young. You didn't really know what you were doing. You guys would be better, better just like pursuing your own freedoms, give yourself space, break up. Don't, I mean, you guys can do the co-parenting thing. People do it all the time. Just go live into your freedoms. Trust me, that's going to be better for you. And some of us go, oh, yeah, no, not me. No, that's a lie that, that, that haunts all of us. To those of you who are single, it's a different lie. To those of you in particular vocations, it's a different lie. It's a lie. And the lie in itself always seems good. He doesn't lie with something that, that's not appealing to your temptations. He usually lies with something like, you know what, maybe. Like, maybe. And if we don't gird ourselves with truth and understanding the true narrative, then we're going to be constantly being fed lies, lies, lies. And that's just the way he works. In temptation, because some of us, we... Some of us, we have, we have a high view of God's holiness with no view of his love, and so we're constantly being crushed by guilt, and the enemy will use that to accuse us over and over again. I shouldn't even be here. God doesn't, shouldn't give me anything. He doesn't want anything good for me because the way that I've been living my life. And on the flip side, some of us have a high view of his love and no view of his holiness. Oh, God's okay with it. He'll forgive me. But I don't have to live in his ways. I don't have to do what he wants me to do. And we're unfruitful because we're not living into the fullness of who God is because we're believing the lie of the enemy. That's the way the tendencies, his, that's his tendencies. He's been doing it since day one. If you look at the very beginning of scripture, you see what? You see Adam, you see Eve, you see the enemy there. And what does he say? Does he say, hey, I'm going to try to scare you right now? No, Hollywood does that. The way he does is like, hey, Man, I can't believe God wouldn't want you to eat it from this. You know why? He doesn't think you're good. And you know why? He's not good. You should probably go this route. And what happens? Eve is not like, oh, man, this, this is crazy. Like, I'm scared. I'm so scared I'm going to eat this fruit. No. It says it looked desirable in her eye. And the way the enemy works is he puts things in front of us that is a stinking mirage. So that we can jump into it and all we do, we end up with a mouthful of sand. And the sad thing about it is we do it again and we do it again and we do it again. Because we don't understand his tendencies. And we may say, well, that's just my sinful nature. Yeah, but if your sinful nature ultimately being persuaded. And all of us are in this boat. And usually because we don't understand that it's not flesh and blood that we're waging this war against. But it's principalities and it's authorities. And he doesn't want good for us. Amen. So, so the armor, as we step into the presence and purposes of God, it's, not our, it's, it's his victory, his battle that we join in with him. We understand the game, and the game is not just the political, cultural things. No, 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 no. 
No, it's the principalities and authorities, and his tendencies are, we got to understand what his tendencies are. It is to lie, for us to believe the lies, so we need to understand the truth. And so lastly, how do we win? How do we win? Go back to verse 10 with me at the very beginning. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That right there, he said, be strong along the strength of his might. That's the same language Paul uses back in chapter 1, verse 19, talking about the power of the resurrection. What he's saying is that the way in which we win is stepping into the power of God. And you say, okay, well, practically, um, like, how do we win? Now, hear, hear me on this. You win by knowing that you've already won. Now, some of you may go, I have no idea what that means. And you shouldn't, because I did that on purpose. So you win knowing that you've already won. And here's what I mean by that. The, the winning ultimately doesn't come for your actions. The winning actually comes from the work of the Lord. Paul doesn't say be strong in your prayer life, though he's going to talk about prayer. Paul doesn't say be strong ultimately in your faith, though he's going to talk about faith. That all of those things come first from you being strong in the Lord. So what is it called here in this language is that it's a, it's a, it's, it's a passive it's, it's a present passive or passive presence. doesn't matter what it is, but God is doing it, right? So you have this sense of one, the strength in which we have, the victory is actually in the Lord. It's not in us. And so you have these lies that have your world, your world turned up around that you do things because you're functioning out of the lies as opposed to living and resting in the strength of the Lord and his victory. And that comes in and through relationship with him. And so let me, let me share these stories with you. Um, when I was a uh, younger, like probably six or seven, my, my cousin would come over and stay with us. My cousin was older. He's probably 13 or 14. And if you know anything about cousins that are 13 and 14, when you're six, all they do is try to just torment you, right? And so in our apartment complex, there was this playground that we'd walk to. And you had to walk by this huge, there was this huge tree and there was all these birds in it. But at the time, I didn't know that they were birds. My, I mean, I knew they were birds. I thought they were birds, but my cousin told me they were killer bats. And so when he said they were killer bats, and I didn't know anything about bats, clearly, because I would have known daytime. If they were killer bats, they sleeping right now, right? But I didn't. So you know what ended up happening? I never went back to the playground for like a year, right? You know why? Because I didn't want to get killed by those bats because I believed that. My whole life and since of I, I did not go to enjoy the playground because of the lies that I was believing. A lot of times, we don't enjoy the goodness of the victory of the Lord in which we have because of the lies that we're believing. And on the flip side, there's the power of relationship. I shared this with you before. Playing basketball. A lot of stuff happened when I played basketball when I was a kid. A lot. Playing this kid. He's ninth grade. I'm in sixth grade. He gets mad at me. He punches me in the eye. My eye starts watering. I wasn't crying. My eyes start watering. So I go in the apartment. My sister's like, why is your eye watering? What's wrong with you? And I said, Chris. Chris punched me. She was like, light-skinned Chris? Light-skinned Chris, meaning he was a little bit lighter than us. He was black, but he was light-skinned or light-skinned. When he's light-skinned, he's real light. And so he said, light-skinned Chris. And I, she's like, what? Oh, let's go. And I'm like, go where? We go to his apartment. So my sister was older, by the way. And my sister takes me. We go to his apartment. We knock on the door. True story. Knock on the door. Pops comes out. Pops was like, what's going on? And she was like, I need to talk to Chris. He punched my brother, and I need to deal with it. And Pops old school was like, all right, Chris, right? <laughs> Hey, it's old school, man. He's like, all right, I'm about to go back to watching Jerry Springer. Why don't y'all go ahead, right? So he goes in. Chris comes out. He closes the door. And Chris sees me, and he sees my sister. Totally different demeanor. Totally different demeanor when Keisha was there, right? First of all, my sister's name is Keisha. How many Keishas you know that ain't whooping somebody's butt, right? <laughs> so so you, have, you have me, my sister, 
And then you have Chris. And my sister's going in on Chris, like, hey, I can't believe you did this. You better not touch my brother again. You already know who I know. She's, like, talking about her friends and everything else. And he's like, I'm sorry. And now, mind you, Chris, right then and there, had the ability and the power in himself to lunge out and punch me again. He could have. He could have did the next day. Could have the next. He could have. He could have done it. Like legitimately, he could have done it. However, something changed in me standing next to my sister that day, because my sister was actually for me, and she actually had more power and strength and clout than Chris did. So somehow, this scared little sixth grader running upstairs crying because he had been punched, 10 minutes later, is standing there in full confidence. As my sister's talking, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right? Lies, we function out, we miss the enjoyment of God. What I was able to experience in that moment was that's not my sister's power, but the relationship I had with my sister and her power being for me and my protection. Sometimes when it comes to spiritual warfare, we walk away being afraid. No, no, be aware, but not afraid. Because though the enemy can punch you, he can do things. He's very powerful. There was one that stands far powerful than him. The Bible teaches us that that greater is he that is in us, the people of God, than he that is in the world. He can stutter. He can somehow slow down, but he cannot thwart the plans of God. Sometimes I don't think we know how to stand in the present power and the victory of Jesus. And, and um, this, this shows itself in the way that we pray, how we pray, the way in which we live. Sometimes I think we believe that God in the gospel only forgave us of sins, not that he gave us the very power to live into what he's doing. So, so here, here's an example of this. I'm, I'm driving my boys to school the other day, and um, they, they stopped talking about Granny. They're like, well, how's Granny? And I'm like, oh, let's call Granny. Granny's my mom. So I said, let's call Granny. I call my mom. I said, Mom, what are you doing? And she starts singing to them. They get on speaker. She starts singing, um, like, you know, Buenos dias. So she's singing songs to Spanish to my kids, which is always interesting to hear somebody with a southern accent singing Spanish anyway, right? And then I said, Ma, why don't you pray with the boys? I got you on speakerphone. They're about to go into school. Why don't you pray with them before they walk into the school? And I'm driving to the school. And I'm thinking, she's going to pray with them how I pray with them. Nice prayers. My mom doesn't pray nice prayers. You know why? She doesn't believe in a nice world. She believes in a powerful God and a not-so-nice enemy. So when she, I mean, she goes from, Father God in the name, <laughs> right? Because I asked her to do something on behalf of my kids, and she knows the only way that's going to happen is if God rains down. And I promise you, just the way she prayed, I just took me back. I pulled over to the side of the road because, you know, you're praying, you know, you don't want to pray with your eyes. So I saw myself going, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Right? I had to pull over and go, because she probably said Father God about 15 times, right? She said, tomorrow, Lord, is tomorrow. It ain't here yet, and today is right now, and it ain't going to be here tomorrow. So for today, may the power of Jesus, the angel of protection be with these boys. I'm like, yes! Right? <laughs> and, and there was a part of me going, sadly, like, I don't know. Like, she prays as if she's really in war. I think we pray like we're just like, you know, it might or might not happen. And there's a, there's a level of urgency that happens when you know that you are in a spiritual battle for your relationship. The enemy is after your marriage. The enemy is after your walk with Jesus. The enemy is after your, who you are in your workplace. The enemy is after so much to stop what God is doing, and yet God is actually for you, so who can be against you? So the victory in which we have, the way to win is knowing already that we've won in Christ to rest in his strength, to walk in his strength, 
to, to love in his strength, to confess in his strength, to be with people in his strength, to be able to witness his strength, and to pray in such a way that begins to exude his strength. Amen? Now, we're, we're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about slaves and masters. You may say, wait, that's out of order. I told you that already. And then we're going to come back the week after that and really talk more about what does it look like to engage in this spiritual battle and talk a little bit more about some demonic supernatural things. And so don't watch any scary movies. Just read the Bible, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great grace in which you've given us in and through your son, Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would do a lot in us, Father. One, make us aware but not afraid. Help us to understand the armor that we step into in Jesus. To understand, Lord, what's not spiritual warfare and what is. And God, that not that we would analyze it, Lord, but always trusting and praying and resting in the good news of Jesus. God, we pray that we would understand the tendencies. We, we know our own weaknesses. We know our temptations, Lord. We even know, Lord, when we're going to be tempted. It's pretty consistent. So, Lord, help us to bring people around us to pray with us, Lord, to be able to speak much of your grace and much of your work in our lives. Father, help us to see that the ultimate victory is in relationship and your presence, that when we stand in the midst of warfare, in the midst of trial, tribulation, when our souls feel downcast, that we would have a comfort, the comfort and confidence of being in relationship and being in your presence, Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.